You're listening to WCT.FM, talk radio like no other. God, I love the station. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. You are listening to The Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM. Also live streaming on 101.7 FM in Columbia, South Carolina. It's WCET 101.7 FM. Chippy, you there, buddy? I am, Teddy. We got a great guest tonight, my friend. I know, right? Really happy to be here today. Uh, Yes, our honored guest is definitely uh, really an honor to have. Uh, Michelle Belanger is with us today, and you know I never thought I'd be able to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, yeah, Michelle Belanger is an author, an occult expert, a presenter, a singer, a media personality, <clears throat> just to name a few. Uh, she was featured on A and E's Paranormal State. You remember that? I mean, I sure do, man. That, I used yeah. to love that show. Michelle's a gifted psychic as well as a skilled energy worker. She's published over two dozen books, best known as an author for the Psychic Vampire Codex and the Dictionary of Demons. Uh, For a more complete overview of all the projects Michelle is or has been involved in, we should head over to the Project Index, and you'll have to tell me about that. Um, Michelle's work has taken her around the country and the globe, but she makes her home in beautiful Ohio. Or she was born, and that makes sense to me. So, Timmy, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to introduce the phenomenal Michelle Belanger to Supernatural Run. But welcome to the show, Michelle. Great to have you Hello. here. Great to be here. I hope you're both having a great afternoon. <laughs> yeah, sure. That just got better. You know? <laughs> yeah, it did, because you actually got out of bed from your nap today. So. <laughs> oh, that that you know that too, you know. Wasn't that great a nap, man? Yeah. Wasn't not without cigarettes, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's that's my little, and I didn't see that coming. You know, we deal with our little crises as they come along. You know, it just is what it is. Yep. Gotta get that shielding up, but Chip, learn how to get rid of that stuff. You know. Oh, that stuff's more expensive than say, you know, if we could have. <laughs> have <laughs> We can afford cigarettes. That's the cheapest option, you know. You go to that non-smoking stuff, and I mean, cocaine's cheaper. That's all I'm saying about that. Not that I really know, but anyway, Tim. Chip, you want to ask Michelle the first question? Because since I always do, I ask the guest first, and I'll give you the opportunity to. Oh wow! I don't even know where to begin. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to pick a weird spot because that's what I do. That's why. That's why I'm here, I guess. I'm going to go to Word Place. Um, actually, not too weird, because if we want to know more about your project, it's, it says in this bio to head over to the Project Index. Where do we find that? Uh, that's over on my website, which is my first and my last name, michellebelanger.com. Uh, and the index page, well, 
The fact of the matter is, is I am an occult haberdasher, which is to say I wear too many darned hats. So I do <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. We've all I do been an there. awful lot of stuff, and, and so trying to like organize where all of that is, from the, the free videos that I put up on my YouTube to... Uh, like the the psychic aptitude cards, and uh, then I bought, then I bought a haunted location last year, and oh. so there's all the stuff with that, plus the writing, and then a bunch of TV stuff has started to come back together. I don't know, okay. like TV is weird. We're like you know, ten years can go by, and and people have kind of forgotten about who you were, <laughs> and then suddenly your phone's off the hook. Oh, the fickle finger of fate. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody started talking about me or something um, because uh, I got, well, some of it went back to paranormal state because Katrina Weidman, who was also on the show with me, mm-hmm. was the one who, who'd reached out and said, like, she had this new project and, you know, would I be involved with it because she'd done the same thing for paranormal lockdown. And she'd mentioned that she was working with some guy named Jack, which, you know, I hadn't been watching a lot of TV at the time. So, like, it didn't occur to me to think about who Jack was like I just I met this kind of like good-natured roly-poly guy on set and he was <laughs> sweet and had a jolly disposition and kind of reminded me of a big hobbit <laughs> <laughs> and by the second time I filmed with them I caught his last name and I kind of googled that because I was like no really yeah right so you know then I'm you know, <clears throat> next thing I know I'm working on portals to hell with Jack Osborne oh nice yeah, it's beautiful when it works that way, right? Yeah. Hey, uh, one more quick question, and then I'm going to turn it over to Tim since he was so nice to defer to me. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Psychic Vampire Codex, because does that mean you are a psychic vampire? That's not the impression I ever got. So but if, if you are, can you go nice and gentle on me? Oh, yeah. I, I actually am. Um, all of the abilities that I have with energy and psychic stuff comes down to uh, that that capacity that I was born with. And the reason that I wrote the Psychic Vampire Codex first and, and made a point of like that being the first thing I published was it's not necessarily a bad thing if you know what you are and what to do with it. But the vast majority of people are unconscious about it. They have no idea that this is something that they're doing. And they are... They are the universal pains in the neck. Like there's, there's some people who like it's, it's just their their way of interacting with energy. We we all have met somebody who's unconscious about it, mm-hmm. um, from like you know your old shunt shut in Aunt Bertha who like she never leaves the house and you dread going over there because you know that once you do she's gonna have you in that house for like the next eight hours talking to you <laughs> about her hemorrhoids, her bunions, and her fifteen cats. Okay, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, and. On some level, that's emotionally tiring, but you also know that like, she is literally sucking the life out of you because she never, there, there's some, she's not getting something. Uh, she doesn't leave the house like she, she's not being supported by, by anything else. So she's, she's vamp, she's vamping you. Whether she, re- she, do, she totally doesn't realize it, uh, but she, she does. And then there's also the, the other one where like you go to work, and you've got that person, you know, that person, um, who you work with, who is just always in everybody's faces and always finding ways to. To get something started between people, knows the buttons to push, tends to be domineering, tends to just, and and those arguments and conversations that that person tends to push for every single time are also exhausting on a level that you feel like they've attacked you, Mm. because they have. Uh, And again, they don't, they probably don't realize that that's what they're doing, that Mm. they are taking something from you that they need. Um, And because most people's experiences with people who are psychic vampires are with folks who have no clue 
and therefore do it in the most efficient and frequently least comfortable way possible. Uh, all of the texts that had existed before I wrote mine were about how to defend yourself against these people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, imagine growing up going, I think I'm like this. And the only books that are out there are the books saying that you're automatically a bad person because this is a capacity you have. Right. So I sat down and went, you know, hey, it's another way of working with energy. You don't have to be a terrible person about it. It's just the way you tend to. Something about you tends to take more energy in. So once you become aware of that, you can choose when and how to do that. Wow. So, yeah, I, I never would have thought that it was uh, kind of a, an unconscious or subconscious thing for people because I do know people who are self-proclaimed psychic vampires and they go out of their way to do it at oh, any cost. But uh, but definitely those people. Yeah. But, those but, people too. but for most of the people to not even realize that they're doing it, uh, that you know, that's the first time I've heard that, and I'm pretty old, so yeah. I, I gotta commend you for that. Yeah, uh, so there are definitely the unconscious ones, and and I won't say that there are not people who totally know what they are, totally know what they're doing, really get off on doing it because those those people are out there too, <laughs> and uh, I, I really made it my my mission for the first couple of decades of my life to be let to, to let people know a you can be conscious about it you don't have to be terrible about it here's how to do it responsibly mm -hmm. uh and here's also if you happen to be someone who's being preyed upon by the bad ones there's how to, here's how it works so you know better how to protect yourself from it because i mean it takes a thief to catch a thief right, right. yeah right well yeah i'm gonna go on your website and into that project index man i gotta check that out yeah uh, it, it's it's rough, especially when you're an empath and you know, there's people that you are related to that are loved ones, brothers, sisters, fathers, who who do that without consciously knowing they're doing that. And every time you're around them, they they drain you, and and you know just you have to get away from them. You know, just I, I, have, a, I have some yeah. relatives like that. So. One of the things in, in talking with, because there's a whole there's a whole community of people um, who identify as psychic vampires, and you know we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out like why are we like this? What what is this? Was this something that we were born with? And mm -hmm. I would say that most of us believe that. Uh, and what's interesting is my mom was an empath. Mm -hmm. Her father was like me, and I really like spending decades of my life studying this from an energy worker standpoint. I really think that the two abilities are two different sides of the same coin mm -hmm. and are just empaths tend to, without realizing it, put out a lot of energy, a lot of energy that is charged with emotions and something in the way they interact with energy and emotion also means that they are inundated by the emotions of others. Now it's easy to mistake and, and think that they're taking that in, but it's more like uh, they're, they're, they're so fine-tuned to emotion that, like, they're saturated with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not that they're eating it. They get overwhelmed with it. They, they can't get rid of it, in fact. Um, whereas somebody who's a psychic vampire is very tuned into those emotions. Like, I pick up people's emotions easily as well. I just have a very different way of doing that. And a lot of times, people that are psychic vampires, sometimes they misinterpret your emotions the way that you express yourself and they think it's like you're 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 responding out of anger when when you're really not you know but that's how they 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 identify with that energy 
well, how, and, how they interpret it. Yeah, well, and, and people who are psychic vampires who, who aren't conscious of it are mm-hmm. always going to seek out and try to instigate emotionally charged situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because it feeds them. Like those emotional outbursts from other people absolutely feed them. So you will you will know them by like how often they would just find every single button and every fight to pick and every way to just exhaust you. Um, and, you know, it, it's also why like a lot of the you know, later work that I've written is about how to protect yourself, how to shield, how to ground um, how to like take attacks like that and either misdirect them, like kind of think of it as like a psychic Aikido, like like grab the force thrown at you and, and shove it away, uh, or or turn it back on them. Mm-hmm. Did you did you always know you had abilities, Michelle, since you were little, or did it come on? Yeah, later? no, I I was raised in a family where psychic ran in the family, and so we we talked about stuff openly. Um, aunts, my mom, my grandmother, everybody talked about abilities and experiences that they'd had. And they were also rather practical about it in the sense of it wasn't like, you know, the family sat around the dinner table talking about how, you know, how each person could out psychic the other. It was more talking about how this was a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also how you needed to approach, approach it with caution and always question it. And, you know, be sure that when you picked things up, what you were picking up was, you know, really psychic as opposed to what you wanted to perceive, because mm-hmm. that's that's a big thing, and really hard to navigate at first. Right, Chip. Yeah. Um, all right. Speaking speaking of psychic, I I did go to your website. I did, first I got a I got a kind of a vampire question in a minute, but I did want to ask you about. Psychic aptitude cards, that looks fascinating to me. Can you tell me, since we're talking about being psychic and everything, so what psychic aptitude cards are? Well, they were inspired (coughs) partly by a game my mom would play with me when I was little, like kindergarten age. And it was was that old memory card game. She'd use a deck of cards, and she'd make matches, and she'd turn them face down. And instead of having me test my memory with where the positions were, she asked me, She'd flip one over, put my hand over it, and then tell me to feel the rest of the cards and feel which one felt like that. So when I got older, I ran across uh, the Zenner cards that uh, Zenner designed for the Rhine Institute. And the thing I had with Zenner cards and the symbols on there was they were they were so pared down, they were so minimal that they didn't... I mean, honestly, I, I tend to suck at them, um, not because... I don't think I'm I, I, okay. So let me let me backtrack. The problem I ran into with center cards was the very reason that they used them in a scientific laboratory was that they had pared them down so completely that the idea would be that somebody would beam this star or this square into somebody's mind, and in a scientific experiment, the only thing that would be a hit for psychic communication would be specifically that symbol. Okay. And abilities so that, don't abilities don't work that way. Yeah. When when you when you're picking something up when you're sending information to somebody, uh, I mean, think about how busy your mind is right now. Um, so say we're doing a, a traditional Zener card experiment, and I'm the sender, you're the receiver, and it's close to dinner time, and I'm hungry, so I'm staring at this star on the card, but I'm also thinking about food, and you pick up ham sandwich. You're not wrong, but by the technical 
definition of how those are supposed to work, you're not right either. So I developed a deck of cards that use our associative memories and the way that our brains are busy and multi-layered for the card. Um, so instead of just the color red, it's the word red and it's in the, it's in red letters and it's against a background that is a big, brilliant red rose. Interesting. So you've got all of these layers of meaning that can be transmitted from person to person. One of the other layers about it was, um, and the cards don't allow someone to test being an empath. It's, it's, it's testing a very narrow range of psychic ability. Um, but if you go through the psychic aptitude cards ahead of time, like you're instructed with them, and write down your associations with each of these cards, like you look at the one that is red and you look at the rose, and you know, you're probably going to think love and Valentine's Day or uh, the rose garden you had as a kid. And you make kind of like your own little lexicon of like what each of these inspires in you. Because okay. all of that information is information that can be passed along to someone when you're looking at that and trying to transmit what's on the card. Right. Now, that, that makes sense to me, too. Uh, look, I, I talk to an awful lot of mediums that, that use symbols and stuff. And I say, you know, they're, they're showing me a rose, which means to me it's somebody's celebration or, you know, that sort of thing. And in my experiences, I was never a symbol guy. That's probably why I'm not, I wasn't all that good. And <laughs> but, you know, I, I understand the connotations of what you're talking about. I think it's brilliant. So I may get myself uh, my own debt. I'm going to ask you now a quick and weird question about vampires. Um, because, A, I noticed that one you had books about vampires. And you've got a quote from Carlos Gustav Young on your webpage, and for some reason there's always a connotation between Young and vampirism. Maybe I'm mistaken about that, but almost every single time I've ever encountered somebody, uh, at least a, like a self-professed vampire, it's always they're always Jungian in some way. Uh, I don't know if that if, if that's actually a thing or that's just me. Um, and I don't know if I want to ask more about vampires or about the correlation between uh, young and vampires, but I'll I'll hit you with the latter first. Do you notice <laughs> that there's some sort of correlation between Carlos Gustav Young, the old psychoanalyst, you know, that was out there with Freud, for people that don't know, and vampires or vampires? Well, I will say that the folks in the in the modern vampire community, a lot of them definitely are conversant with Jung's ideas, especially the collective unconscious. But more than that, the idea of archetypes and uh, the shadow. So let me, uh, let me go with archetypes first. Like he's the guy who coined this idea that there are these, these sort of like great mythic images that are from our shared stories and from movies and, you know, every story that every human tells, uh, we are kind of like feeding into these these, these massive images that are part of the architecture of our minds. Uh, so think about every myth where there's like a wise old man and like the hermit of the forest and how he could be Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, or he could be 15 other things in a fairy story. And these are, as Jung identified archetypes, um, like, like themes we carry around in our subconscious, in, in our minds. Well, the vampire fits into that archetypal 
stuff. And, and people who identify, who call themselves vampires in the modern world mm-hmm. are using the word like a Jungian archetype, like a symbol of something deeper and bigger, rather than saying that we are Dracula, rather, rather than saying that we, uh, you know, are undead beings that sleep in coffins or anything like that. There's, there's things that are connected to the vampire as a figure in myth and pop culture that appeal to and, and speak to the experiences of people. For myself, as a psychic vampire, uh, they're the only things in myth and folklore that feed off of life, like, like I do. And so that word becomes sort of shorthand for a lot of other meanings. And, and that's how it's Jungian, how it's archetypal. Boy, thank you for answering that. But, you know, I, I, I feel like I just, you know, finally reached the brass ring at the end of the rainbow here because I've never had an answer like that before. And I always, I really appreciate that. You know, it kind of, it solves something for me, you know, because I, I've always wondered about that. I, I was a psych major, you know, and I was more of an R.D. Lang guy, which is a little <laughs> past young, but because I was, you know, it was all about psychopathology really for me, you know, I, I, and Young wasn't my guy and Freud wasn't my guy, but something about R.D. Lang tied everything into knots and made sense out of mental illness for me so I could be helpful to people with no, mental illness. Yeah, I, I was a Jungian at a Skinnerian Institute, uh, so I... Oh, oh, so <laughs> my, oh, my ears are going up. Yeah, so... So I'm I, not, I was not. Psych. Wow. <laughs> I ended up oh, out of psych and over. That would have done it for studies. me. Okay, yeah. you go, yeah. girl. <laughs> oh, that whole Skinner stuff was. I just, you know, I was just an anti-Skinner guy. What's in the box? What's in the <laughs> box? <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! So thank you for that too, boy. I like you more and more by the moment. You know, <laughs> this is uh, this is kind of a, this is like you know Chip's birthday almost. There you go. All right. <laughs> yeah, you can't, t- you can't take the psychology out of the psychic, and, and that's really a, a key thing for me. Well, thank you for running away from the Skinnerian Institute. See, we can hang. We can hang. <laughs> I was always in I just, something about, you know, behavior modification was just not my thing. You know, it it, it, it doesn't work. No, uh, no, it doesn't. Well, but, it was also the era when, like, pretty much everything came down to let's give them Prozac and lithium. And I will be honest, I was a firebrand back in college, so I stood up in the middle of my psychopharmacology class, chucked a textbook across the room, and started shouting about it. So, <laughs> oh, I like you more already. See, I didn't need to be in a pharmacology class. I went to school at the University of Miami in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> I learned on my own. Oh, what is that out loud? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I like you, man. Timmy, your turn. So buddy. I guess psych majors make good psychics then, huh? Yeah. I th- yeah. So, well, you know, just not Skinnerian stuff. <laughs> yeah. I guess the ones that are stuck in behavior modifications, they're the ones that give you a tarot reading and then say, okay, your time is up. Oh, but there's something you should really know for another $20. I'll give you another one. Yeah, that's yeah, probably so them. Where, where for me it's more, okay, why does my mind translate this into these images and symbols, and how is this speaking to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I want, Chip, I want to ask Michelle about her, about your Inspiration House, uh, Haunted Retreat Center Training Ground for Psychics, and uh, for, for uh, listeners and for us that don't know about it. 
Okay, so last year, I, I, I'd been looking for a place that wasn't my, like, full-time residence to be a place where I could run classes and things. And, you know, I'd been thinking, like, if I could find something that was also haunted, that would be a bonus, but mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't assume it was going to happen. Um, and there's a town out here in Ohio called Oberlin. It's, it was founded in 1833. It's very historical, got, has all kinds of ties to, like, uh, the Underground Railroad, a lot of historic homes. Okay. And I happen to also run a yearly event there at the hotel at Oberlin, which is our like three day weekend of psychic development and energy work and, and whatnot. And because we do so much work out of that hotel, I had started to look for a property in, in that town um, and found this 1869, 1870 brick home that just kept going down in price on Zillow. Hmm. And Finally, when it dropped low enough, we were like, well, you know, let's go take a look, which was, of course, the kiss of death. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing that struck me first in, like, the initial open house was there just seemed like there was a story going on in this house with the people who were trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. And as we kind of dug a little bit more and actually, like, put in a bid and decided that we were definitely going to put in a bid, we found that... They hadn't lived in that house for over a year, um, but they'd left all their stuff. Like there was still, there were still clothes in the hamper. Wow. Um, you know, everything indicated that like at least one of them had just stuffed some clothes in a, an overnight bag and left because they left everything. Hmm. Uh, the closets were full, like their prescription bottles were still there. Like there was everything there. Um, our realtors didn't come right out and say that the house was haunted, but they did say you seem like the sort of people who could handle the energy of this place. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's interesting. And so, uh, as things came together, we bought a haunted house. (laughs) Wow. And I think my favorite part about it was, you know, when I work with the TV shows, first of all, let me say, I try really hard not to go to any of the big haunted locations that are like, you know, the, the, play, the, the getaways to go do investigations because there's always a chance that I'm going to be asked to do it as a psychic for a show. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to be as, like, I, I don't want to be front-loaded. Um, but when I do things like that for a show, like, I'm there for a day, two days maybe. Um, sometimes the walkthrough is 45 minutes, like, in, out, like, quick, quick, quick. Mm-hmm. And so I don't get a chance to, like, really kind of sink into the location, like, really get to know it. And so by buying this, this haunted place that I can also use as a retreat center, I can also use to train like people who are new to their psychic abilities. It let me have a chance to get to know it, to really like, get to know the residents, to have a lot of in-depth private investigations and then confirm for myself that like it's a safe enough haunting, but a reliable enough haunting and a researchable enough haunting that if somebody wants to come for uh like mediumship classes, we've got the ability to give them the verification, the validation that is so essential to developing confidence in your abilities. Wow. Boy, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. So is it like having another roommate, kind of? Or, I mean, you know. Se- several of them in this case. It's one of those houses. Oh. There's, there were, I think, six deaths that we were able to research and document that happened in the house. Wow. But not from violence, nothing tragic 
they were all old age. They were all people who had lived in the house and like that was their home and they really have no desire to leave. Okay, I got a weird question in on that behalf for you. Do you ever like uh, ask them, you know, if they're happy the way the room's redecorated or not? You know, because <laughs> if they live there, you know, and you want to keep them kind of comfortable, maybe you'll put some things in the way they want because nobody ever seems to do that, which begs that question. Legitimately. Legitimately, that was one of my key concerns when we started to redecorate and do the changes on the house. Like, I, I was like, okay, okay, guys, what would you like? Ah. And now I am I am a goth. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm like, you know, I drape the walls with, like, black Sorry, velvet my, and stuff, like, if left to my own devices. My daughter's an emo, and I still love her, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the the paint colors that I, I went through and I'm like, okay, well, I think this is the room. This is the way they want this room done. I think this is the way that they want this room done. So it, it's a whole bunch of like more earth tones and, and neutral tones that are totally not my style, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but they, but they fit with the house. And when we were painting the walls, um, what we found about three layers down in two of the rooms I couldn't have color matched it better. I was repainting the walls the color that they had been three layers before. Wow. So so I had that awesome confirmation of, of like, I was pretty sure like one of them was just kind of like walking behind me going, hey, I want this one to look this color. And and sure enough, yeah, he had, the, the, wow. the really cool thing was um, we ran into a local who had been working, he's a handyman and he started being a handyman by working for one of the people who owned this house in the seventies. So he works on the house now and is able to tell me, he's like, Oh, Hey, you, you painted the room the same color that you know, Mr. Du Bois had it back when he used to own it. Did he let wow. you know about this? And I'm like, well, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, thing about, I love about Oberlin is it's a weird enough ta town that that wasn't weird. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Sounds like you, you found this ideal spot, and and thank you for that, by the way, because we don't we don't hear about that often enough. And and Timmy and I, we've seen so many instances where people are are almost, for lack of a better word, abusing, you know, these these spirits at their haunted property, you know, making them some novelty or or, uh, you know not having any problem that people have to come in and relive some history of theirs that maybe isn't even accurate, you know, just kind of in your face spirit. Thank you, lady. Here's my 40 bucks. But you're actually doing it with the, the history and the spirit in mind, you know, and yeah. as, a, as a goth that adds like layers of cool, <laughs> you know, so, but we, you don't know, I mean, it really deserves a heartfelt thank you though, because we really don't see that enough. Yeah. Because there's so many yeah, teams I, that go out and, and do the investigations and they amp things up and they just leave the client and don't have any communication with them after that. So that's yeah, nice. that, yeah, yeah. come on in and taunt. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. or, you know. Well, the one thing that, that I've told people, like if they want any kind of response at Inspiration House, they have to really think they're visiting several elderly people's homes. Mm -hmm. They're elderly people with some very old-fashioned values, so if you are not polite to them and you don't you know, come into their home with politeness and treat the home with politeness, they, they are not going to talk to you mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's their prerogative. And I, 
I agree with you on some of the locations. Like, it feels like all of the worst aspects of, like, P.T. Barnum's freak shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I just... If we assume that some spirits used to be people, that, that they are people who died and who have just stayed around, I do not understand why so many people seem to think that they have lost their essential humanity, that they need to be... that they somehow should be treated as commodities or as... I don't know, like... There, there are too many people in this industry who will treat a spirit as if it were just a movie prop rather mm-hmm. than potentially a, a, an actual real being with yeah. feelings. Yeah, and that, that I mean, it hurts us literally to see stuff like that. But in this day, and look at how we treat our celebrities, you know. If you look Britney Spears or Kim Kardashian in the eyes, you're not going to see, you know, a genuine pair of eyes there. You're going to see something that's been to hell and back about a million times and the and things that we'd never know and so it becomes easier in this uh, internet day and age to treat things without any compassion whatsoever or as casual as as chattel you know it, it's uh, so i i think you know i concerned about places and i'll i'll say this out loud but i've never been there the lizzie borden house it's my understanding that I think the owners pretty do take pretty much uh, some good care there, but you know, here's a woman who believed she was going to be found innocent before she died. She had this lawyer and an appeal that was going to get her off of these charges, and didn't have a chance to make it. And there's a tendency for some people to go on there because of the novelty, because they can recite that poem over and over. And somehow, you know, we're keeping a part of her spirit, at very least, not only there, but also almost tortured. And, you know, and stuff like that, especially when it goes wrong, breaks my heart. So I use that as an example to use the example of what you're doing in a way that we have to be grateful and thankful uh, to your being so aware of that. And that's a very cool thing, you know, plus the whole. Plus the whole God thing, you know, on top of that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't believe in, like, going to a place and just, like, willy-nilly doing the send them into the light because it's not my right to decide when mm. they're ready to go right. do that. Right. Sure. Um, but I also am a strong believer that an awful lot of hauntings that are there because of trauma and pain just need a good talk therapist. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I've had done a lot of that before, too. Yeah, because so I... You see people walk through somebody's energy who is a spirit that's been very upset for whatever reason. They're upset. It's not personal to you. It's their upset that they're walking around in. But I've seen people and Tim, you see people walk through and sense just a little something and go, oh, there's something bad here. Yeah. Where they, they pick up the emotions of suffering and they're like, I'm being attacked. I'm like, no, you feel the pain of something that is in pain. Yeah. You're experiencing it like your pain, because that's the only way you, you, can, you can translate this right now. Um, so, so rather than putting things into the light, what I'll, what I'll try to do is if, I, if there is an intelligent haunting and it will respond to me, like I literally have sat down and done just talk therapy sessions of like, okay, you have a friendly mm-hmm. ear. Let's, let's talk yeah. about yeah. where you're at and what you want and you know, what, what can we do if there's a way to help you or like get you to a point where you can help yourself. Right. You know, or just have a really neat talk, you know. I've, been on places where we've laughed, we've cried, you know, in conversations with these 
spirits, and then, then 10 minutes later, somebody will get attacked by the same thing, you know, uh, because it's a, it's all about approach. And I'm not going to go on somebody else's property and cross somebody over me in possession. There's nine-tenths of the law. There's spirits that are attached to this kind of property and let them be so. But, you know, I also, you know, I mean, any chance to communicate with something interdimensional is like the biggest honor in the world. Yeah. You know, so I treat it as such. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. just interested to in learn in the person. That's my psychology background. Yeah. You know, but but it's it's uh, it's kind of a compassionate thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're often relieved to have that kind of communication. Yeah, some of them, just, that's, that's all they want, just, just to sit down and have a conversation with you. Yeah. A lot of earthbounds don't even know they're dead. Right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, my God, you can see me? It's like, well, I can't really see you, but, you know, I mean, you're, yeah, I can understand what you said. Oh, my God, really? So you can, you know, where am I, where am I? You know, I really wanted to tell them, you know, yeah. but, uh, but still, it's better than no answer at all. It's like when somebody gets sick and they, you know, they've been sick for a long time and they go to the hospital and the doctor say, well, we're not really sure what it is. They'd rather have the answer than the doubt, you know. Truth. Sorry, I know it's your interview, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I actually like every everything that you said. Like, I'm, I'm here with my thumb up going, yes, yes, all of this. Yeah. Well, that's, it's just, uh, you know, and, and we're starting to see some of that, too, with the TV show. You know, and I'm going to ask you the question that Timmy was about to ask you. I'm sorry, Tim. That's all right. He's just, try- he's just trying to keep me awake. You know, I was napping all day. It's a long story. But the, the paranormal state, you know, my wife and I, we always liked that show. It was a long time ago. It was one of my favorite, actually. It was so ahead of its time, A, and B, it was always compelling, but never in a stupid way, you know. I mean, there was something smart about it, which made it compelling. But it was all these people we had never seen or heard of before who were really kind of attacking a problem, not attacking, you know, some unseen thing, mm-hmm. you know. They were just trying to solve a problem in a, in a really great way. Uh, and... Uh, so you were you were a part of that, and can you tell us about your days there when you were there? Probably the well, I ended up on Paranormal State because I was friends with Josh Light and Elfie Music, or more specifically, they were fans of my work first. Wow. And, and at the time that the the Paranormal Research Society at Penn State was being scouted for the show, they were doing um, this big convention called Unifcon. And they, they did a, it was a paranormal convention housed at, at the college every year. So they had me come out um, as, a, as a writer, an expert, and a cultist. And so my initial involvement with the show, when it gelled, was as um, kind of Elfie's lifeline when, as the occult expert. Like if they ran into something that they're like, hey, Michelle, it's 3 a.m. and we're in the woods in Maine and... <laughs> Lorraine thinks it's this thing, and like there's some a- animal mutilations, and this, and like there's this sort of Indian burial ground, like this far away. Like, what could it be? And I'm like, well, I, hang on. So, so basically, I'm Bobby from Paranormal in this case, just without the alcohol and the, the spit and vinegar attitude. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So I'm 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 legit in my basement because I've got about five thousand books on various topics, and I'm just like going, hang on, I probably have a book for that. So it could be this, this, or this. 
if you can find, uh, it looks like a Micmac tribe, maybe see if you can talk to the tribal elders to see if it's tied to this. So, so that was me with first season. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and then they had, what a lot of people don't know is Elfie lost her brother and her father in rapid succession. Uh-huh. Um, kind of as all of that was going, going on. So imagine suddenly kind of rocketing to fame, being actually like a really shy bookworm little and a daddy's girl and like having that loss and still have, having to be in front of cameras with all of that going on. So if, if you ever see that like she's subtitled and stuff, it's like she was really kind of drawing into herself. She was having a, a challenging time. So they brought me on an episode with the thought of having me be kind of her occult mentor. Cool. And then a wrong turn on a logging road in Oregon for, I think, 52 miles um, with me and Chip and one of the APs uh, led to a very different outcome because Chip realized that I also was psychic. Mm. And um, I believe that that episode is one that they called The Messenger. Uh, And Chip suggested once we finally got to the location that I be kept separate while he did his walkthrough. And he was really curious what would happen if I did a walkthrough afterwards. Mm. And then we compared it. And I was all for that because I, I love experimenting with stuff. And so like the idea of dueling psychics was something I'd, I'd been doing for, for teaching students energy work for, for years at that point. And so basically we played dueling psychics. Like he did his thing, I did my thing. And then we found that we had hit every single hot spot in the house the same way. Like the, the language we used obviously was going to be different, but the things that we were describing were the same. Uh, and pretty much from that time forward... Uh, all of the production people just thought that, like, I was a psychic, period, the end. Um, and so you don't really get to see me in my capacity of a cultist or researcher or anything else. Uh, and my favorite thing about it was the folks on that show was that they were a tight-knit group of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, over the time that the show aired, you know, these are people who were in college when it started and who graduated, uh, but, you know, really imagine suddenly being in the public eye when what you really are is kind of a bookworm who's into ghosts. <laughs> well, still, you know, it, it, one thing it proves to me <clears throat> is the genius of guys named Chip. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing I can say after this show. So, you know, that I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, since I stole your question, you could steal one of mine now. Yeah, that was, that was like one of my first paranormal shows I've watched ever, and that's what kind of yeah. inspired that me. That was really, really well done. You know, we're, we're down on a lot of these shows, not all of them, uh, not even most of them, just, you know, some that are, I mean, you can just tell that they're... The, the thing to keep in mind is that it's, it's TV, and I will say this, with Paranormal State, the reason it ran five seasons was... There was a point where our contracts were up, and we had a very strong sense of what we were able and willing to do mm-hmm. and what we wanted to do. And the production company wanted to make good TV, and we wanted to make genuine TV. And we had the great fortune of having solidarity among the group. So we just said no. We weren't, we, we said no. Um, and, and that was that, like at the point where it became, if this continues and we want the ratings, this is what we would like you to do. We said, no, 
Mm. So that's why it doesn't exist anymore. So basically, they were they wanted to sensationalize it. They they really kept pushing in directions that we were not willing to go in. Okay. Um, and like, you know how any job where there's things that you know it's against company policy, but you've got that boss who totally says, "Well, I'm not telling you to do this, but I totally expect you to do this." <laughs> right. There, yeah. I've had bosses like that before. Yeah, it was definitely going in that direction, and mm. I think if we hadn't had the tight knit solidarity as friends there would have been somebody who broke somebody who like signed anyway but all of us like there there were episodes where when the production company pushed too hard in a direction and they wanted it to go a certain way and we were like this is not what we go we literally walk just go for a walk mm. because we knew once they went into overtime that was golden time for that kind of like production and they were going to negotiate because they didn't want to have to spend that much money <laughs> Yeah, now that's TV. Yeah. But yeah. that's the thing is like keep in mind it's it's TV, it's entertainment. Um, you know, there are some compromises that always have to be made, at least in um, you know, what they're gonna focus on. But there are compromises I will never make, uh, not just as a psychic, but as a researcher uh, who, who speaks about occult topics. And those are lines that we, we I was happy that I was happy to be with a group of people that they also would not cross those lines. Mm-hmm. Were you involved with the paranormal research prior to that, prior to that show? Yeah. Um, oh, Lord. I was doing paranormal investigations in, for friends in college uh, and had been teaching energy work and psychic development before that. Like, I'd had several books out. Uh, so, let's see. I'd been active since the 90s. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so I, I had about ten years on on all the all the folks in paranormal state. One of the things that you don't get to see on the show because the production company again wasn't just didn't find this interesting was you know we were there to help the clients and in so many cases it was just getting the clients to understand what it's like living with a ghost. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it, it what there, there wasn't anything that was actually like trying to hurt them it was it was scaring them because they didn't understand how to protect themselves or or like we've described like something would walk through or past them and they would pick something up and that would seem like an attack because it was alarming mm-hmm. but it wasn't actually an attack so so my behind the scenes role in many cases was to sit down with the clients and explain to them the basics of psychic self-defense the basics of grounding and centering and shielding when it was really extreme, how to ward their house, how to clean it, how to get stuff out, how to protect themselves. So just lots of stuff about good psychological boundaries, good psychic boundaries. And when it wasn't a dangerous haunting, how to live with your dead roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Chipper. Yeah, I, I do like that. I'm I'm marveling in it. You know, uh, yeah, I've kind of a, come from a weird place. You know, uh, this month will be 40 years for me, Tim. Wow. You know, but That's my enough. my best friend through childhood, you know, came to me at the moment of his death, and and we had this little brief talk, and I was almost 21 by this time, so I didn't have any of this uh, kind of abilities when I was a kid. But the one thing I gained from it was, you know, that he, before I could really get his point, made sure that he put me in his shoes, you know, that I understood where he was coming from. And for some reason, 
you know, I've always done that, you know, and you go on these things, whether they're paranormal or not, and you come across something and, you know, again, if they're suffering, it's not personal to you. They're not suffering because you're there. They're suffering because they're suffering, you know, and, and so many people misconstrue all of these different kinds of signs or feelings or senses as malice or malicious and, and it's, oh, this evil and, you know, we got to get them out of here. And, uh, so, I, I mean, uh, and I, uh, because I, uh, of this, I've never had a negative encounter in my life, and I've had a lot of encounter, you know. And I had some years where it was more where you talk to the ones that had crossed over rather than the ones that were earthbound. But I, earthbounds have been good to me, you know. I vowed to represent them in a fond light. That's kind of my thing, uh, which one would think on appearances would be almost opposite to yours because you've got the occult thing going and the goth thing going and the psychic vampire thing going. And yet you're, you know, you're as sweet, if not sweeter than I am. <laughs> so I kind of really like that. I try but, to use my powers for good. Well, it, it shows. Um, so I'm going to, uh, after saying all that, I'm going to pick a weird question because I'm sure our listeners would really love the answer to this, which is. I like weird questions. How how did how do we stop ourselves from being impended upon by a psychic vampire? First thing is, in every likelihood, if you've had somebody feed off of you, if you are having a psychic attack by a psychic vampire, it's somebody that you have interacted with uh, mm-hmm. within the past 15, 20 minutes. It's probably somebody who was in the same room with you, if not somebody who actually talked to you. Uh, so the first thing is, if you think something like Move yourself out of the room that you're in um, if there's people around you, because most folks who have this ability, especially the ones who aren't conscious about it, they need they need to look at you. Um, you know, you are a target of opportunity. Uh, so remove yourself from the location. Um, and if the sensation doesn't go away, then get a chance. If you get a chance, put yourself somewhere like go to a bathroom where you can close the door and where you can have a couple of moments to yourself. Um, a technique that I'll recommend to people, even if it's not a psychic vampire, if it's any type of psychic attack, mm-hmm. uh, turn the tap on and, and run some water over your hands and just let yourself focus on that sensation because it helps calm you down and ground you into your body and gets you to a point where you can concentrate a little bit better. And then the next step is when, when you have calmed down a little bit and sort of like shook off this sensation, you've got a better sense of your center, take a couple of breaths, and then think about your boundaries as, as, as a psychic being, as a human being, as an emotional being. Think about your boundaries and imagine those boundaries as a barrier around yourself. Um, this is called shielding uh, in, in pretty much all of the magical communities and psychic communities. And it is both a psychological exercise and a, an energetic psychic exercise. Picture yourself with the shield around you, front, back, top, bottom. Um, you could picture it as a bubble of light, but it doesn't have to be light. It's whatever you feel safest in. So to, to recap, if you've been attacked by a psychic vampire, it's probably somebody you've interacted with in the past right. 15 to 20 minutes. It's probably somebody in the same room. Remove yourself from that and then ground and center and shield. Uh, 
there are rare instances where it may be somebody like a family member who's got a strong tie to you and they can take from you over a distance. Mm -hmm. And in, in that case, really that grounding, centering and shielding is, is the main thing. Uh, it, it helps to identify like where this is coming from, but it's, it's like, you know, any kind of battlefield triage deal with the wound first before you like, you know, take out the sniper. Like if you're bleeding, go to cover <laughs> fix the problem and then and then address who it might have been um and again nine times out of ten they probably have no idea that they're doing it and then there's that tenth time and they're a terrible person and <laughs> there are some things that you can do to turn it back at them mm. if if you are if you if you know who it is and you have right. to deal with this person regularly and you you know <laughs> that they're doing this to you um there are there are two techniques that i recommend one take a a page from the monarch butterfly, which is poisonous and tastes awful, which after a while means that things that eat butterflies don't eat them. Mm -hmm. If you are, if you have the sense that this person is feeding off your energy and taking your energy, take a few moments to picture as clearly as you can the most obnoxious taste, smell, sound. Just focus on something that is just yucky and repellent and shove that at them. <laughs> they want your energy. Let them have a mouthful of that. Mm. Guarantee they're going to be like, whoop, nope, nope. And they'll, they'll move off to something else. Um, <laughs> if they are that number 10 person who you know they are doing this on purpose, um, because usually I follow some pretty strict ethics, but if somebody takes a swing at me, I have no problem taking a swing at them. Right. And I tell the same to everybody else. So if someone is attacking you and you know that they are very aware that they're attacking you, um, in order to take your energy, they, they have to connect to it. Like there is some of their energy that they are expending to make a connection to you. It's also why it's easier if they can see you or if they have made physical contact with you. Um, and also why it's less likely for someone at a distance to be able to do it, but not impossible. So over a distance, it's like doing long distance Reiki. There's, there's energy that is coming at you. That energy is theirs. If you have enough awareness of how to connect with energy and grab it, Mm -hmm. And even if you don't imagine like, like close your eyes and go, okay, if I imagined what this attack was and, and how it was coming at me, and if I imagined myself grabbing it, yanking it and shoving it back in their face, what would that feel like? Right. Yeah, that's a much better picture I got in my head now than <laughs> yeah. I had yesterday. This time. <laughs> yeah, they, they, get it, they get it back a lot harder than they threw it at you for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. But that, you know, I've had people talk about attachments and how uh, the, to do a similar exercise, and and you can build the shield, but you can make it diamond, so the these attachments can absolutely not be a part of that, nor can they uh, beat the puzzle, so to speak, and be inside that diamond with you because they're attachments. And, uh, but it begs the question, and I don't want to, I don't want to be, I'm hogging Timmy's time, so I'm sorry, Tim. <laughs> Uh, um, but yeah, and and we talk about this all the time, especially here. Mm -hmm. We've got friends who say, "Well, my life sucks, and it sucked last year, and it sucked <laughs> this year." So there must be some sort of demonic uh, spirit keeping me from having a good life, or some sort of attachment. You know, some sort of negative or attachment. Curse. Yeah, family curse. Yeah. Whatever. And and to us, it allows people to take their personal power and give it to something they can't even see and aren't even sure is there for certain 
It's just some sort of almost unconscious belief system. And it goes back to the question, is there really a curse without a belief in a curse? Which I wanted to address, but more importantly, for people who think that for some reason it's always got to be a demon or an attachment, for Christ's sakes, you know, I mean, kind of, uh, uh, can you help us? Uh, tell them, no, you could, it's your personal power, it's yours. Give it back to yourself, spoil yourself, man. You know, make your mark on the world. Well, the first, thing, the first thing I will say is there are an awful lot of horrible predatory people out there who are going to be that psychic, self-proclaimed psychic that you go to who says, you have an attachment, you have a curse, and mm -hmm. for $500, I can fix oh, this. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah, they're out there still, yeah. So, so let me please, please say, don't, if someone looks at you and says that you are cursed, that you have an attachment, or that you have a demon, and then they ask you to pay them money to fix that, please run the other way because your real problem is that person. Right. Yeah. Or just because punch them punch in the face and say, wow, you're right, that curse is working. I'm not like this at all. <laughs> because <laughs> Kidding. even if they were super powerful at anything that they claim to be able to do, mm. nothing that they did to remove that from you is, is something that you can't do for yourself. Mm -hmm. And actually, it is more powerful if you do it for yourself. Right. If you truly feel that you are existing under a dark cloud, if there is something that is at your back doing horrible things to you, the first and foremost thing to do is to develop good boundaries and to stop thinking of yourself like a victim. Mm -hmm. Approach it like you would with any type of physical self-defense. You don't walk across a darkened parking lot without your keys in your hand. Mm -hmm. If you are somebody who is small and feel like you could be victimized and you don't telegraph that you think you're a victim. If you mm -hmm. are in a neighborhood that you've been told bad things happen in, you don't go huddled all down and yeah, like, right. you know, like, like you don't do that. Like you need no. to like puff your chest out and be mm -hmm. cock of the block and just yeah. walk around like you own the place. Like you belong there. Yeah. Like that's where you've been, always been from. And they should know you. Yeah. Predators back down from that. Predators look for weakness. Predators look for that. So if there is something preying on you, the first thing you want to do is conquer your fear, conquer your sense that you are a victim, work on your boundaries. And I don't just mean like your psychic shields, but actually like your emotional boundaries. Stop, stop dwelling on the negativity. Now, I am not of that new age stripe that says that if you only think positive thoughts, all the things are going to go well for you because that's, that's just not how life works. Right. Sometimes terrible things happen, but if we let ourselves dwell on them and just expect the misery, we will absolutely start to find the misery. Yeah, it feeds it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. See, I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of a guy who does concentrate on the positive sides of things, but even I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not all sunshine and roses, you know, but people aren't talking about the love-based side of life or the love-based side of ghosts or, you know, uh, vampires or extraterrestrials, and somebody's got to do it. Just to show that it's not all fear and loathing, and I like how you're doing that. I, I mean, I really, I love it, as a matter of fact that, you know, you're teaching people how to coexist with the uh, spirits if they have spirits in their home. 
you know, well, teach them that art form. And, and again, that's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it's it's paying forward. It's doing a service to the, for the greater good, if you get my drift. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things, like, everybody asks me, well, you're a psychic. Do you do, you do readings? Like, how much? And I, 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 I don't. Now, I have nothing against a psychic who makes their living by doing readings. But for me, it is more important to put the power in somebody else's hands. So mm -hmm. what I do is teach. I teach people how to use their own abilities. And if they don't think that they have abilities, how to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something we need. And and it, it's, you know, I guess similar to what we, we do. I don't like to charge for, you know, I do a very good tarot reading. I don't take credit for a lot of stuff, but I, I'm very proud of my readings. You know, I think they're very good for people. But it's not about money. It's about the message. Right. You know, any good psychic I've ever met, and I, I will cite you in that category, it's about the message. You know, they're here to do a service. They feel almost compelled by this force greater than us to, to, to you know, be in service to the greater good, to others. You know? well, and, and for me, this might just be my personal hang-up, but the minute somebody gives me money to do a reading, there's this pressure to perform. Well, they're, they're, because they have an anticipation that you can't possibly match. Right. <laughs> well, and, well, and also that they, they've now given me money, so I need to give them a service back. I need to do something back. But sometimes you do a reading and you don't get anything. Yeah. But now there's this money hanging over your head. Okay. Yeah, right. there's, there's so much temptation, consciously or unconsciously, mm -hmm. to then fulfill their expectation for which right. they've paid. And but I, just, I always do an honor system, you know. I would yeah. give them the reading first, and if they like it, take a pay. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they don't like it, oh well. But at least, right. you know, in my heart and mind, I've, I've done them a service, mm -hmm. and they can do with me whatever they wish. You know. Yeah, for me, it's just easier to, to, to avoid all of that because it just gets it gets messy. I grew up too poor to, like, really have the ability to take people's money like that. Mm -hmm. no, I, I get that. And Timmy does, too. In fact, Timmy, I'm sure, has so much to say. Yeah, I've been stepping on <laughs> the candidate segment, and I apologize. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, this is exciting. Timmy? Uh, Michelle... What are some of the most memorable cases that you did on a show? Uh, the one that stands out with Paranormal State is the one that I get quoted back to me all the time, which uh, I'm up in a sweaty attic room and there is a glowing hand on the wall and I'm shouting, come on, wife beater. <laughs> <laughs> Go, girl. <laughs> you sound, the, the, <laughs> the sound like my wife, you know. <laughs> Well, the ghost haunting that place was uh, a grand, the, the grandfather uh, of the family. Like the family had told us, the clients had told us that he'd he'd been a, he'd been a white beater. Like he'd taken the poker from the uh, the fireplace and, and beat on his wife. I mean, he was just a terrible person in life, and he did not improve in death. Um, and oh. like all of the same attitudes, like he just he just did not let any of it go. Uh, and and so I, I went a couple of rounds with him, and because of a different. Uh, I, I think I had just done a thing with Monsters and Mysteries in America for the psychic vampire thing. And we'd done a thing with a FLIR camera to, to be able to see in real time the, the way I work with energy. Mm -hmm. And Ryan and them had gotten so intrigued by what had shown up on the FLIR camera on that other show that we'd managed to rent one. And this was back when those things were stupid expensive. expensive. Yeah. Uh, 
so so Chad Kalick is sitting in the room with the FLIR camera aimed at me, uh, and I think they're, they're, they're just waiting for me to do something funky. Uh, <laughs> but And we would never have caught what happened if we didn't have that camera because of the other the other thing I did. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I had the sense of this guy, like, just standing in front of me and trying to physically intimidate me and, like, kind of, like, almost, like, trying to pin me against the wall. His freaking handprint shows up on the wall wow. in the FLIR camera. And, and what you don't see on that episode is the hours that Josh Light and the rest of us spent trying to, like, recreate this mm-hmm. in a way that we could debunk it because the, the, the handprint that showed up stayed a ridiculously long period of time like no, it, it matched nobody's hand not even if we like thought about like the, the spread the natural spread of heat because mm-hmm. uh, like if, if you walked into a room and you stuck your hand on the wall and you lifted it up and you had a FLIR camera you were going to see a handprint on the wall right. some of your heat stays and depending on what the wall is made up of the heat also starts to then dissipate at a different pace mm-hmm. so it was hot in the room the wall was just plastered with bricks behind it. Um, we tried everything to match this thing. Like that, that thing was up on that wall for just stupid long. Wow. Um, we couldn't, we couldn't match it. Uh, it. It was one of the bits of evidence where, where so much of our trying to debunk it ends up on the cutting room floor. We brought in an expert to like <laughs> try to tell us that this could or couldn't have happened. Um, and, and to this day, the, the thing that's that's telling is. You know, knowing that I had a sense that the guy was in there and was being kind of like right up in my face. And and that is where his hand would have been if he was leaning against the wall. Wow. Damn white beater. Yeah. 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 See, my wife would have said the same thing to it. You know? <laughs> She's a I mean, little I'm, fire bottle. I'm, I'm 6'1", and, you know, I, I used to pump weights when, when I was in college. So, like, I I will go toe-to-toe. I'm, I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, she's like, uh, you know, 5'2", but... Oh, 5'2". Oh, no, I'm 5'2 sc- is scarier. You've got to be tougher, meaner... <laughs> well, she is, yeah. If you're going to win a fight. Like, she is, she's like my bodyguard, you know? <laughs> so, so, But it, it kind of reminds me of something that she would do. Just saying. As a loving husband. Who will, who will shut up now? Okay. You have another thing you want to ask Michelle? Or uh, wow! I mean, talk about pretty much anything. Like, just toss out a topic, and I'll probably rattle on about it. Um. All right, I'll take it to another weird place because you, you know, look, we we don't. I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of occultists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why. There's really no reason Not that for it. out there, know. really. Yeah, it's it, they're tough to find. You know, it's just like witches. There's a, there's another thing. Because witches say if the, if they're any good, they're not going to talk about this stuff in public, you know. It's like Generally the magi- speaking, yeah. magician's code, you know. A magician, David Copperfield, is not going to tell you how he made an elephant disappear <laughs> in Times Square, you know. So witches aren't going to tell you anything. Huh. Um, but uh, I've got kind of two questions in, in that regard. I'm going to lump them kind of into the same area. Because to me, what made witches so scary, especially in like medieval time was that, you know, they had wizards at that time who had these sticks that they could do stuff with. They always had props, you know. Merlin was around and he had these props. But witches didn't need props. Witches would only combine their intent and their belief. Mm -hmm. And all they would have to do, sitting in one spot, they could impede upon the free will of another person 
toward the negative. That's what made them so scary. So it was a combination of a belief and an intent. And I'm going to take that one step further. We've got some people here that are trying to get into covens, but they have the uh, the dark dark witches or black witches or whatever that's called. I, I'm, where I'm a white guy, you know, with uh, magic-wise and, and in life. But, you know, but the... The people, there's people in the covens that are really into the black magic that will do everything in their power to get the newbies in the coven and and attack them somehow. And boy, that kind of spoils, spoils the whole, it's supposed to be a, a, a pure reverence of the elements, you know, and, a, and an be, understanding yeah. of the elements and how to make them use. And maybe you should have know some white and some gray and some black in order to do all of it especially if you want to specialize in white or gray. But, you know, it's it, it's not about scaring people, and that's kind of dumb. So I'm going to take that, and I'm going to also uh, combine it with occultism, because my the biggest occultist I ever was aware of, and I could be wrong, was Aleister Crowley, you know, uh, in World War II, along with Adolf Hitler, who had understanding of how all these dark forces worked, and... Uh, said he found the pages of the Book of Thoth and all this stuff. And um, So when you think of as an occultist, or when you talk to people in witchcraft, and I'm lumping them together so I can keep my question, you know, kind of in one frame, uh, do you understand the kind of things that I see when I look into those fields and get discouraged into looking into them further? Oh, absolutely, because there are, if you, especially if you, these days, it's the Internet. So anybody yeah. who right. there there is a, a thin veneer of people who are more about showmanship and scaring people off. Who honestly, if you talked to a legitimate practicing witch, would say that's not actually a witch. That's not actually witchcraft. Um, and, and most occultists are going to be shaking their heads and going, "That's that's not how this actually works." Uh, so it comes down a lot to perception and projected perceptions. So what, what I will say is there are an awful lot of wannabes and posers mm -hmm. who put on put on airs of pentagrams and you know sabbatic witchcraft and, and, and whatnot because frankly it seems cool or they watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And... <laughs> oh no you leave Sabrina alone <laughs> <laughs> But that's, that's one in a long line of things where in pop culture there's a portrayal and it looks neat and it looks cool and then you have folks who don't really know what they're doing who pick those images and symbols up and kind of, you know, trot them around and then for the rest of the world that's all they see. Mm -hmm. That's what they see is is, is what a witch or, or what witchcraft is, is, is what an occultist or, or occultism is. Um, for folks, like, the, the reason I call myself an occultist, I mean, one, I have... Uh, my, my, my main degree is in um, comparative religious studies, and the focus is on um, new religious movements. So, so basically, Wicca and witchcraft and the New Age movement and all of the, the, the whole modern magical movement, that, that whole milieu of, of weird crap people do and believe in now. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and that means that that's led me to learn so much about how what we think we see. Actually, I'll tell a story from Paranormal State that is probably the, the best illustration of this. Um, okay. Again, it's something else that ended up on the cu cutting room floor, but it, it is the 
the 40 minutes of my life where I got Lorraine Warren to agree that a Ouija board might not have been dangerous. Mm. Wow. wow. <laughs> of course, that was on the cutting room floor. Uh, yeah. So it, it was it was in one of the Carolinas. Um, the, the episode is the one where uh, it's it's a house where the family had originally the family who originally owned it had kept a family member, an elderly family member, basically trapped in a room like they kept her prisoner until she died. Um, and, and that was the main thing of the haunting. The new family who lived there, there was a, a daughter, a son, and a mom. And as was typical for psychics working together on a case, Lorraine did her walkthrough separate from mine. We both did our things for the, for, for the house. Both of us zeroed in on the daughter's room, not as the active location, but as one of the few places in the whole house that felt calm. And this is, this is important. It, it felt protected. Mm. We had agreed on that. Well, flash forward to dead time where we're doing the actual investigation. And Ryan is in um, that room at, at some point. And he kind of pokes around a little bit like you do uh, and finds underneath the daughter's bed a stack of books. And I mean, we're not talking like Wicca 101 fluffy bunny witchcraft. Like these were Anna Riva, like, like fairly intense hoodoo books on, on hexing and cursing and like, like some stuff that you have to make, you have to know where to buy these mm -hmm. um, stack of those on top of a Ouija board. Well, Ryan, Ryan just was like, and like <laughs> calls Lorraine in and call, you know, basically stopped is like, what, what on earth is even going on with this? And so I, uh, as the expert, like I, I look at the books and I'm like, well, okay, those, those aren't your usual. I ordered these from Barnes and Noble witchcraft books. <laughs> But what I will say is I, um, you know, when you're investigating somebody's house, you, you snoop, like it's kind of your job as an investigator. So I had already noticed that the daughter had a very low key altar and like it was very subtle. It was, I'd, I'd poked around in it. It was clearly like white witchcraft. Like I, I was like, so you're Wiccan? And she's like, God, don't tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and my sense was the way that room felt protected was because the daughter had been actually like warding it and actually doing magic to protect herself. Yeah. And that wasn't magic that seemed like it was inciting what was going on. But admittedly, the Ouija board and the books, the books especially kind of like raised my eyebrow. So, so Lorraine is ready to just like stop this entire thing, you know, hold the, hold the phones, hold the horses. It's the Ouija board. The Ouija board has opened this thing. And it clearly now she's, she's even changed her opinion. It must be the center. The center must be the daughter's room. Everything must center around the daughter. And I'm like, I don't think so. So, so I'm like, all right, so, so let's, let's agree that like this Ouija board is, is a symbol. Um, and in some respects, it's not any different from a K2 meter. It's designed to try to communicate with spirits. Uh, the ways in which it, it, it does that through probably idiomotor response is, you know, questionable in the same way, uh, honestly, dowsing rods and a pendulum can be questionable and easily, um, easily misled. Right. But to me, for any symbol, whether it's a pentacle, a pentagram, um, the athame, like like the sacred ritual dagger that, that most Wiccans will use, right. the symbol, the meaning of the symbol is not what my perception of that symbol is. The meaning of the symbol is what the person using it intended it to be. Mm. So, you know, somebody can have an upside down cross on their wall. And for them, it's because they really like heavy metal music, of like you know, Norwegian death, death metal. It is nothing more than that to them. 
or they could be a theistic Satanist. Like, and you don't know until you talk to the person for whom that symbol has its meaning. So, so we have this long conversation about symbols, and finally went uh, managed to convince Lorraine to go and talk to the daughter. And the story that we learned was the daughter really didn't wasn't into those books. Like she she had her own practice and the Ouija board in the books had been left to her by a relative. Mm. And because she cared about the relative and looked up to that relative, she didn't feel comfortable throwing them out. Uh. But she also didn't feel comfortable using them, which is why they were under the bed. Okay. Interesting. And, and so to kind of like take that back to your question, sometimes some things will look terrifying on the surface. And the most important thing is to figure out like what's underneath that. Like as, as somebody who's been a goth since before goth was cool, uh, I can't count the number of times as a teen that people saw me dressed all in black and just assumed that I was practicing black magic and being an evil person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I believe that. I believe yeah. that. And, and this was at the time, like I, I ran an event in 1999 um, that was like a big, big vampire club thing, like goth club. And it happened to have the bad fortune of being two weeks after the Columbine shooting. Oh, wow. And at that time, black trench coats were very, very popular. Mm-hmm. And, the, num- the number of undercover cops we had at that event almost outnumbered the number of attendees because they were sure that this many kids in black and this many kids in black trench coats were okay. just going to be automatically up to no good. But what we were doing was dancing to music. <laughs> like right. there was poetry, there was a fashion show and we were dancing to music and honestly just kind of trying to, to, to live. Um, through through a time that was you know hard for everybody because of what had happened in the news. Mm. So don't judge a book by its cover is my first thing for any 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 aspect of, of this. Mm-hmm. Now does that mean that there aren't boogeymen? Does it mean that there aren't dark things to be to be afraid of? No, no, because there's there's bad things in every community, there's bad things in every tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are always going to be uh, unethical practitioners yeah the thing that i will say as someone who's been part of these communities for going on 30 years it's the ones that pretend that they are light and life and your friends that you probably have to worry about Mm -hmm. because they've learned how to hide it the ones that wear it out where you can see it they're showing their heart on their sleeve they're probably not your problem that makes sense yeah, it does. Good. Very well put. And kind of depressing, you know. Cause <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I, I remember that time period, you know. I, I mean, I don't think I'm, I don't remember what year it was. I think my daughter was alive at that time. You know, you forget I'm old. So, you know, yeah. you regret bringing yeah. kids into this world, you know, at a certain time, you know. I actually... Uh, kind of made her watch when she was about five years old this movie called The Nightmare on Elm Street. The original one, not the remake. Why didn't we the remake? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't ask me that. But I wanted to sit there and say, you know, hey, isn't the red pretty as it's spraying against the wall? Or, you know, the, isn't this... I'm, I'm trying to show her that something, somebody else is going to show her and saying, oh my God, this is so scary. And put her in a place where she can see what's going on but it's got dad right here 
and saying, you know, this is the kind of thing that scares a lot of people, but you don't have to do that. Because I want her the calmest one in the room if somebody's going to pull a gun in a classroom, you know. I'm yeah. trying to find creative ways to do that, you know. And, uh, and yeah, nobody called social services, which was good, you know. And, and, and she, was, she was able to, you know, I mean, all of the other kids in the neighborhood were guys, you know. So they would make her sit down and watch these horror movies waiting for her to get scared. And they're the ones screaming, you know, and she's like, dude, what's up, you know? <laughs> so in that sense, I, I did well. But, yeah, I can understand, you know, I mean, you paint a very visceral picture of that time where you're just, some kids have to try it, you know, to have fun. And, you know, it's not, it's not your fault that this kid decided to wear a dark trench coat to do what he did because exactly. they weren't fashion at the time. It had nothing to do with the shooting at all. It was just an incidental. We never really got into the hearts and minds of these kids, really, that did this. So, you know, so yeah, so I'm sorry you had to have underground cops. At the, I hope they were good dancers, but, you know, I mean, it, it's still kind of, you know, I, I, I can connect with that. I can connect with that. You know, Timmy, too, you know, uh, he's, he's not as old as I am, but, you know, he's got the same kind of heart where he, he connects with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was always one of the kids that wore wore their heart on their sleeve. You know, everybody knew that I was I was I wasn't a threat to them. So. Yeah, I I was never a threat to anybody. I I've never punched anyone. I've never been in a fight. I've ne I've only seen one real gun up close in my life. Yeah, you know? and but 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 nobody's worried about me. I was kind of a small guy anyway. I will say that when the, the minute somebody points a gun at you in a circumstance where you're not in control of that gun, it tells you an awful lot about who you are and what you're willing, like, like what, what you do in an emergency. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry you know that. <laughs> but because a lot of people don't know, and they always say, you know, we always put ourselves in, you know, hey, if it's, you know, as a married man, if some supermodel hit on me, you know, I'd turn her away. Well, we don't know that, you know. Hey, if the, you know, if I'm I'm in a crowd of people, somebody pulls a gun on me, I'm going to outsmart them. You don't know that, you know. I mean, there's so many situations we like to think we're going to handle a certain way until they happen, <laughs> and you just really never know until you know, you know. Yep. You guys ready to take a break? Yeah, I guess on that redundant thing about knowing us, it's like the perfect time. Um, yeah, um, just so you know, Michelle, you're not going to be able to hear the commercials in our headphones, but our mics will still be live. Okay. And Tim, I'm going to you're going to see me disappear for a moment. Tim can see me on video. I'm going to get something else to drink. Um, um, about how many minutes? Because I'm going to go grab a. Couple. It's about okay, three. Cool. About two, three. Two or three, two or three minutes. Yeah, okay, two or three perfect. Minutes. I'll go. I have enough time. Okay, I'll, I'll be back before you if you don't get back in time, and I'll kill time. You know I can kill time. <laughs> About three minutes. Anyway, Tim, take us out, buddy. All right. You're listening to the Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM with our special guest, Michelle Bellinger. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to WCT.FM, talk radio like no other. God, I love the station.
So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Kindness Beyond the Veil, even in the darkest realms and mysteries, good things happen. Kind, even loving things. In the paranormal, psychic world, extraterrestrials, mystical healing, light workers, starseeds, things that have astounded us since the beginning of time, do have a love-based side to them. And we'll show you on Kindness Beyond the Veil, every Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Chip Reichenthal. Leading into Michael Barra's Late Night in the Midlands show at 9 Eastern, making Mondays worthy of looking forward to right here on WCETFM, because that's where the action is. At Armstrong, we're proud of the great customer service we provide. Our hard work has been nationally recognized. Armstrong has received the 2012 Best Customer Service Award for service excellence among independent cable operators. From our blue booties to our 24-7 support. Our customer service sets us apart from other providers. That's the Armstrong experience. Armstrong. One wire. Infinite possibilities. What is the supernatural realm exactly? Why do people have paranormal or mystical experiences? There's some science behind it they're not looking at. Why do some people have negative encounters and others don't? What are the best methods to use and is there some new truth to them? We'll ask these questions on the hit radio show, Supernatural Realm with Tim Roxbury, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with your co-host Chip Reichenthal. Supernatural Realm, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 7 to 9 Eastern, leading into Michael Vera's Late Night in the Midlands at 9, right here on WCETFM, because that's where the action is. Back to Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM, 101.7 FM in Columbia, South Carolina. Chip, you there, buddy? I sure am, my friend. Boy, what a show we got today, brother. Definitely. It's a great, great two hours. It's fast two hours on radio. Fastest two hours on radio. It's, it's almost over already, kind yeah, of, in a way. Kind of like uh, 20 <laughs> minutes left. But uh, anyway, if, if the listeners want to call in with questions or comments for Michelle, they can do that. The number is 724-602-2826. Again, 
702-286 for your questions for Michelle. Chippe. Yeah, they can also uh, check out uh, all of her uh, information and great stuff on her website, michellebellandjay.com. Michelle is the M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, two L's in that, Michelle. And uh, Bell and Jay is uh, B-E-L-A-N-G-R. Uh, so it's michellebellandjay.com. Uh, you can find all sorts of phenomenal information, not only about her, but products, books, events coming, you know. Um, and a nice quote from Carl Gustav Young undercover, and a very nice picture of her. So, you know, check that out if you can, especially while you're with us. Uh, and if you can have any pertinent questions you want to call in with, feel more than free to do that. Uh, Timmy. Yeah, I'll be sure to have the uh, archive up on Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn, CastBox, and Stitcher, and all the other uh, podcast apps that are available. So after yes. the show, every podcast app ever created by human, uh, Timmy's on, and we're here as a supernatural realm. Yeah, we got to make sure if he's back with us yet or not. Oh, they're here. Ah, she's here. <laughs> See that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here. It looks like uh, FYI is having a paranormal state marathon because my uh, completely separate from this because you know how, how life works and synchronicity. Thank you, Young. Uh, uh -huh. Somebody somebody just tweeted me. I'm like, hey, we just watched The Glove. And I'm like, I was literally just talking about that episode. Wow. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so it was going on apparently while we were talking about it. That's which cool. funny. <laughs> well, I, I know what I'm doing after the show. I'll tell you that much. It's, you yeah. Michelle, were Check. you were you involved with the I Am Six episode with Chip? So at that point, I had asked specifically to not be involved in what they labeled their demonic cases because okay. I didn't want to be put in the position, honestly, of disagreeing with the assessment that it was demonic because mm -hmm. I've got a very strict idea of what that actually is. Right. Thank um, you. Thank and, you. And I just, I just didn't want to have to be that guy on camera that was like guys no um and and so i i tried to avoid all of the ones that they thought were de demonic uh there were a couple in the later seasons that that crossed over a little bit mm -hmm. but i was never on set for any of the im6 stuff wow you go girl you know i personally i i like that you know mm -hmm. because you're you're uh and that that's not you know that's that's not dogging anybody else that was, you know. It's just I, I like to see some restraint there. I, I like to see, well, let's dot all of our I's and cross all of our T's before you, you know. I, I like, know about I, you, Tim. I did like the synchronicity, Michelle, that you had with Elfie on the show. That was that was great. That helped make the show, I think. Mm. Yeah, she remains a very, very good friend. Mm -hmm. um, she nice. and her husband come and visit fairly regularly. Very cool. Yeah, they get to, they get to see an interesting part of Ohio at the same time. Right. Yeah, well, they, they, they still live. Uh, actually, I probably, she's, she's still around. Um, actually, she's, a, she's an amazing artist as well, uh, just like her father, which is, is cool. She's, I've got a bunch of her things that she's made for me over here. Cool. Yeah, that's sweet. It is sweet. Hey, I, I got something I'm going to run past you just so I can see Timmy's eyes roll up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go we're ahead. Getting we're getting close to talking about demons. I've got this theory, and it's very strange, and I get a lot of flack for it. 
And sometimes I kind of like that, you know. <laughs> it's just like when somebody spanks you and you go, you know, that wasn't so bad, you know, and in that, <laughs> in that kind of general sense. But I had this theory about this, uh, this shadow stuff, you know. In my theory, this black mist is extraterrestrial in nature. And just like you hear about these 22 kinds of extraterrestrials that abduct people and work on their genetics and stuff and, you know, maybe make hybrids, you know, to, to make both races better. Uh, I think this black mist is here to study our emotions because it's something that they don't understand. And it's more vital here because this planet spins around very rapidly. Time travels very fast here and we're so concerned with it and we're so extreme about everything that they will either attach themselves to some of the highest dysfunctional areas that they can find in order to learn from it and even snowball and feed it, especially in dysfunctional areas where there's a living dysfunctional family that's living in a haunted dysfunctional situation where you've got and two dimensions of dysfunction feeding each other so this black mist can learn from hey, Chip, But how, I also believe, yes, Tim. How do you know if that black mist isn't your doppelganger? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Because I also believe that the black mist can find itself in very loving homes, mm -hmm. you know, including haunted loving homes where there's a, a kind of the place that you found where there are spirits that are either benign or, you know, uh, endearing. And you have living people that are benign or endearing to each other. There's love there, and they can learn from that, both from a living or uh, an interdimensional perspective and attach itself to that. Does that sound like total horse crap to you, or does that sound all right? So what it's reminding me of is... Uh, Jacques Vallée, who was a big, pretty big name in, in ufology, has this book called Passport to Magonia. And he puts forth the idea that a lot of our experiences, uh, ghosts, UFOs, fairies, uh, all, all of the things that people, pretty much most of the supernatural world that people have been reporting experiences on over and over and over again. And I'm pretty sure John Tenney mm -hmm. uh, w w would agree with this. Probably. That at least some of them are, are are psychic projections. They're not real in the sense that they came from somewhere else, but they come from us. They're sort of um, the inner reaches of our outer space. Like like we are, we have beliefs that we project upon reality. That they are things that we have shaped, mm -hmm. uh, and so some of our demons are just us mm -hmm. believing that there are demons in the world. And, and it's reminding me a little bit about that, um, but also because Volet allows the possibility that there's uh, slippage between uh, alternate realities, that, that, that reality is not just one, that it's a layer cake, mm. but it's a layer cake where like lemon and yellow cake and chocolate all exist simultaneously at once on top of one another. And every once in a while, a chocolate chip ends up in the, in the yellow layer where we were we're at why we're yellow i don't know i'm just you know kind of following the metaphor to its logical conclusion um so so you think maybe it could be a, like a time slip sort of thing um no i'm allowing that it could be um a man, manifesting yeah a manifesting uh, 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 part of us 
that it could be people or it could be an incursion of something extra dimensional, mm-hmm. uh, which would by default be extra t- extraterrestrial. Okay. Uh, I've certainly heard that theory for some of the shadow people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there are, what, what I can say is this, having encountered and, and been able to perceive a, a host of, of spirits, some of which are clearly human, and, you know, they're just going around their human cycle and doing whatever humans do after life and whatnot. And then there are some things that, by my perception, are just like energetic effluvia, like like dust or, or junk that we've put off into the world and it's kind of floating around. And it's still very saturated with the emotions of the people who put it out, but it's not really sentient. It could be mistaken for sentient because it sort of follows certain emotional patterns. And if you walk through it, you'll feel them. And then there's some things that are sentient and they don't seem like they've ever been human. And I wouldn't call them demons because they're not like, you know, there's there's no brimstone and pointy horns or, or anything that you'd expect. Right. Uh, they're just different. They They really don't seem to follow the same rules that we do. And sometimes they seem as startled by us to find themselves where we're at. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, I don't know many conclusions I can draw beyond saying they're not from around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I like the, the example of the Jacques Vallée for my answer. Because he's Neo Youngin, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I said that out loud. Um, but also, I saw... One, uh, Lloyd Auerbach was one of my uh, personal heroes, you know, he was doing ghost hunting in the 80s when nobody was looking and coming up with all this MacGyver-esque kind of equipment in order to uh, prove points, but he's a parapsychologist, you know, he's not a paranormalist. Whip smart, though. Whip smart. Great, great mind. Yes, absolutely great mind. And, and in this lecture, he had everybody in the audience close their eyes and try to picture themselves, you know. Uh, I, I want you to close your eyes and, and picture yourself, you know, see you, see all of you, you know, uh, and tell me what you think about it. Uh, but the, the real moral of the story was that as people pictured themselves, they, and they didn't even notice, a large majority of the people, at least 93% of the audience, uh, when they saw themselves, there were no legs, you know. I mean, the legs were not finished. And that's how we tend to see ghosts, you know. We don't see legs. We see these images floating around. So it's just as likely, if not even more possible, than some of the things you may experiencing in your own home that may look ghost-like may be you. Mm-hmm. Because we leave imprints when we're in certain emotional states and we don't really understand, you know, the power of our own the power, the power mm-hmm. of our own energy mm-hmm. and how... It interacts with the geomagnetic environment and the power of our own emotions and our own intent. So it's just as likely you could be seeing yourself floating around the house, you know. It's a good good extrapolation of the idea of a residual haunting. Mm -hmm. We recognize it as a haunting if it's the residual energy of someone we know has died. Mm -hmm. But we don't have that cue to stop and go... What, what, why do I keep hearing that pattern that I follow in my house all the time? Because it, it wouldn't occur to us in the same way that, well, grandfather has passed on, so that couldn't possibly be grandfather. So now you're really paying attention to when you hear those residual elements. Yeah. Chris, um, not Chris, Chip, you had a, a guest on yesterday on your show, Kindness Beyond a Veil, where Chris found out that 
his experience at Geneseo was a distant relative of his. Oh, man. Yeah, great, great story. I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Cesare or not, uh, Michelle, but boy, he's, he's just a beautiful man. I think we have crossed paths briefly. Like, like you can't work in the industry and be at like an event, like especially like the big conventions, without like kind of like being like high and mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, right. I, I, we have not had a chance to like in any meaningful way sit down and have a conversation. Okay. Yeah, he's a really beautiful guy. I mean, really, truly one of the most beautiful people I know that has been, you know, doing the conventions and stuff. You know, and, and uh, yeah, C two D one haunting is his case. It was when he went to college in Geneseo. He was there to be a track star, you know, but for some reason uh, he had this malevolent haunting and it was him and him alone. And he became more known as the ghost boy of Geneseo than for anything he did with track. Um, Long story short, near that area, there was a piece of history uh, that was very profound called the torture tree. Uh, It was, uh, what, 1779? Mm -hmm. General George Washington, yeah, that George Washington had ordered uh, a bunch of troops to go and scavenge native lands uh, to burn them, to remove them of their crops so they wouldn't be a threat to settlers in that area. He sent these two guys uh, and brought along an Indian scout with them to scout this Seneca tribe land uh, very near where the college was, you know. Of course, the college wasn't there yet. It was in the late 1700s. Uh, the Indian scout said, you really don't want to go this way or there's something bad's going to happen. And they ignored him and they went that way and they were ambushed by the Seneca tribe. They were tortured. These two guys, especially the scout leaders, were uh, so graphically tortured. I mean, Hannibal Lecter would have to write a new book or come up with new ways to <laughs> based on what these guys went through. And it was so, But it was called the torture tree. And it turns out that Chris, when he was running track, used to run by that tree every day without realizing it. Mm. And his great, 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 great cousin was the one who discovered the bodies. Oh, cool. So there was that lineage tie-in, and he never knew that. I I mean, it it took him literally decades before he knew that, Mm. you know. And then when he was at the dorm... The, the spirit kept calling his name, Chris, Chris. And then yeah. it turned the music on and his headphones were loud and it'd still hear his name. He's like, what the hell? You know, he's called my name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows me out there? You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a But, you know, to him it was malevolent. To him it was it was horrifying. And, he didn't and understand the, it. the things that he went through were absolutely horrifying. And, you know, uh, but, but, the, but the moral of the story was that, you know, this person just wanted to be recognized because, you know, look, their bodies were honored, you know, they and they buried him right where they were tortured. What a nice thing to do in order to honor these guys. And then some grave robbers came and removed items of clothing from the, the bodies. Yeah. So they had to re-exhume these guys <clears throat> and put them in a different place yeah. near that tree where they were tortured. And then there was some grave caretaker about 40 years later that said, you know, these guys shouldn't be here and moved them to Potter's Field so they could be honored. <laughs> and then Potter Field said, you know what? No, maybe we should go back to that tree. And put them you back know? there again. <laughs> yeah. And then the daughters of the American Revolution in the 1900s come and say, well, we should put them by that tree with plaques 
And 27 years after that, 1927, they were given monuments. So these poor guys had been buried by the place that, that, that they were horribly killed and then moved around and robbed from. <laughs> and their the bodies went through all these up. different things. How does the spirit rest through anything like that? You know, it's an apt question. And I think one of these guys recognized there was somebody that he could talk to <laughs> and get answers from. Yeah. And I'd be pretty cheesed off, too. <laughs> yeah, right? <clears throat> and, you know, poor Chris was terrified and he didn't know any of this stuff. And, and it took him years after this thing was finally, you know, over for him before he actually knew how coincidental these tie-ins were, you know? Yeah. That sync, that synchronicity that you were talking about earlier, just made for a really, and he's such a sweet guy. I mean, he's just a beautiful man, and it was I, an enjoy to honor him. I, I enjoy shows like this, guys. <laughs> it, it's just like old friends sitting around a campfire and you know just yeah, asking right? questions. Yeah, and talk, talk and shop. Yeah, it's not scripted. It's just conversation. I love it. No. It's a beautiful thing, but you know we we are enjoying your answers. Yeah, I can't even I can't express in in words. And boy, I've got a million words. Ask Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the beauty of your answers, you know. Uh, and and, and, and your work, Michelle, is just phenomenal. You know. Yeah. Just things that you've done, books that you've written, and yeah. you know, so, Paranormal State was one of the first shows that I ever watched. And kind of, I got into the paranormal because of. Of, of shows like Paranormal State and Ghost Hunter, so it's a great yeah, honor. Yeah, it's been long enough that we've, we've started to run, like I've started to run into folks who like who saw it when they were kids, mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. that was the thing that they wanted to grow up to be, and yeah. it's really nice to have like been able to set an example like that. Well, beats the Rugrats, you know? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah. I've got a ridiculous, uh, but also tied to synchronicity, uh, Lloyd Auerbach story that also oh, ties cool. back to Paranormal State. So that, that convention that I used, that I said they used to run at um, mm -hmm. Penn State University, oh. UnifCon, um, it was through that that I, I met Lord, Lloyd Auerbach, and Lloyd was there lecturing once. And um, Elfie, Elfie's father, one of Elfie's dad's students had a band. This is important. The band had a bassist. The bassist looked like a Tolkien dwarf and just like walked off of the pages because he was short, stumpy, uh, just just fun, intense little guy. And we were out in the hallway between lectures um, and I'd been done with my stuff in that day, horsing around. And um, not to put too fine a point on it, Fred the dwarf uh, got, we got really silly. Fred, because of a dare, ended up chucking me over his shoulder, butt in the air, feet kicking, and running at top speed down this hallway. This will make sense with Lloyd Auerbach in a minute. Okay. And and, and just, just pell-mell running with me in tow in a fireman's carry, um, being very silly about it. And he goes and ducks into a room. And again, with me just cackling on him. The lecture hall he bursts into is Lloyd Auerbach's standing room only lecture. <laughs> Lloyd, at this point, is talking about how ghosts, there was, there was an episode of Paranormal State with, um, with a demon's name, Belial, and, and Lloyd was talking about how, like, you don't just call the name and they appear, and, and this is what had happened before that door burst open. Lloyd said, it's not like you say, Beetlejuice, 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 and something <laughs> weird happens. <laughs> 
and in I come, butt in the air, feet kicking, <laughs> on the shoulder of a stumpy little black metal dwarf. <laughs> Who gets about halfway into the place, does like the full pantomime, I'm like, stop, look around, look around, look around, big cheesy grin, about face, and then just rush right back out. Like, like, Lloyd wow. just stops. It was, it was a great sport about it. Just, just kept going with the lecture. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, you know, Beetlejuice, 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 and something weird appears, and... That weird thing was me on the shoulder of a door. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Michelle, we've got about six minutes left of the show. Is there anything that you'd like to say and events that you're going to be doing, books you're going to be writing? Uh, uh, let's like see. The, the, next, the next event I'm at is Madison Seminary's MadCon, not this weekend, but the weekend after. And that oh, cool. is a fundraiser uh, for cystic fibrosis. Nice. Um, I will be leading some ghost hunts and, and various things and, like, come and meet me and signing things and whatever. Um, uh, let's see. I, I'm i juggling too many book projects at the moment to say what's going to come out next. Um, like, the, the Psychic Aptitude cards were a big thing that I launched within the past couple of years. Uh, and, I mean, I've got a fiction series that's sort of fun to read, uh, fun to read that starts with Conspiracy of Angels. But, again, that's... All of these things, because there's a bunch of TV stuff that's also, and, and I found that writing and TV don't always mix for me. So I am also working on Portals to Hell with Katrina Weidman and Jack, Jack Osborne. And it looks like that's going to be a fairly consistent thing, not every episode, but, but frequently. Uh, and there's a couple of other fun things that I can't name that look like they're coming together too, but just expect to see more of me on various television things. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, and and she'll she'll be able to say when she's on all these TV shows. I know Chip Reichenthal and Tim Roxbury, you know. <laughs> so that's that's how we think. Yeah. Anyway. It's awesome. We have a lot of you know, a lot of friends, you know we know with you know, we each other and you know, it's kinda neat. Yeah. Yeah, we know a lot of people and they're all yeah, yeah those guys, yep, yep, yep. Well, I mean if you're doing if you do the community right, like the whole paranormal community, what we're trying to do is explore and understand. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a TV show or not, if you're on a radio show or not, like we're all in this together mm -hmm. and we should all be willing to work with one another. And, you know, I don't expect that we're all always going to agree on our theories. Like we shouldn't, like that's mm -hmm. the whole point of exploration. Exactly. But if, if we're all willing to work together and communicate and, you know, be, be supportive, we're all going to get closer to that goal of understanding things better. So yeah. that's sort of where I stand with it. Yeah, John Tenney, Chip Coffey, Andre Perrin, Johnny Zaffis. I mean, you name it. We, I know them all. I'm, we're friends with all of them. We have a lot of mutual friends. So it's, it's wonderful having you here and finally get, getting to meet you as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and hearing the things you have to say. Mm -hmm. are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, we... we uh, really have to applaud you know your outlook on all this stuff because for me it was a delightful surprise and uh so i hope yeah we can stay buddies and stuff hang, yeah. oh yeah you know it's, well, it's, I'm, I'm walking proof that like i can look scary on the outside but get me talking and actually get to know me <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't um, don't judge a book by its covers don't it's, it's exactly right you know and we love it when that happens yeah. too 
Yeah, part of part of my future work has everything to do with that. About a bunch of people that you that aren't as they appear, you know. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, we got to go. We got two minutes left. Uh, is there any closing oh comments, goodness. Chip? Yeah, I'm Michelle Bellinger, uh, B-E-L-A-N-G-E-R, uh, Michelle with two L's, michellebellinger.com for all that stuff. Uh, for me, for my radio show here, Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, each and every Monday from 7 to 9, right here on WCET, Kindness Beyond the Veil. We take a kinder look at the paranormal, supernatural, extraterrestrial, metaphysical realms. Uh, coming up this week, we've got Craig Sim Webb. We'll be talking oh. about lucid dreams. Uh, and in two weeks, Teal Swan will be joining us. And we'll end the month with Amy Robeson talking about the Akashic Record. Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. right here on WCTFM. Timmy? And be sure to tune in to Thursday from 7 to 9. We'll be talking with uh, Dr. Robin Marie. She's going to be doing uh, psychic readings, photos, scrying, and uh, talking about Centralia possibly as well so looking forward to that uh, on yeah. Thursday yeah and if you want your pictures scribed by Reverend Robin Marie make sure they're of wide open spaces not just headshots and you know maybe if you got investigation pictures or you got investigations of you or pictures of you in your living room or something as long as we can see the room you can send it to the butler ghost hunter at gmail.com just in time for her to read you Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on Supernatural. Good night, everybody. we got about a minute left, so we're going to end the show. And uh, so so Michael can, can get on and do the news and uh, his show Late Night in the Midlands up next. Yeah, right here the on great WCT. Michael Bear up next, yeah. Good night, everybody. Good night. We love you. Thanks for listening. Bye.